Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. Hello and welcome to Konami Talk. No, Sega Talk, episode 70. On this episode, we are going to be discussing a very, very popular Sega CD game. But before we get to that, I want to say welcome, George. Hi, everyone. I I almost <laughs> thought you forgot about me. I was gonna be like, I didn't. I was getting you back for that episode. You you just went yeah. on. You never you never even said my name. It's like I don't exist. I was nervous that episode. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm nervous on this one, too. Well, hey, if you want us to be less nervous, you can uh, support us on Patreon. If you support us at any amount, you get to leave your comments and memories and whatever you want to say, and we'll read them at the end of the show. But if you support us at the $20 level, you get to pick what we cover every month. So on this episode, we actually have a Patreon pick, and we will get to... uh, Daniel Andres is his name. We'll get to his memories. But first, I want to kick things off by talking about Konami. Because, you know, as we've said in past Sega Talk episodes, uh, sometimes we'll be covering things that aren't from Sega, but they were made popular on Sega hardware. I think our last really big one was maybe, what, Power Stone? I would say Power maybe. Stone. I, I, maybe I'm forgetting it, but... I, I, I want to say it's Power Stone, yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like it should be Power Stone. And then um, we've also covered other things, uh, you know, Bayonetta, which is kind of a gray area. But on this one, I feel like this is the most removed from Sega that we have ever done. Um, it's not as though it was like Naomi arcade hardware and Sega made it a, you know, console exclusive. In this case... You know, we're we're t- covering a game from Konami from from a master, I guess. So mm. let's talk about Konami. So the Konami of today is, I think, a lot like Sega. It's a Japanese entertainment video game and gambling con- conglomerate. Oh, exciting! Which Ooh. produces cards, anime slots, pachinko arcade machines, and of course developing and publishing video games. Notable Konami franchises include Metal Gear, Silent Hill, Castlevania, Contra, Frogger, Gradius, as well as subsidiary games DDR, Beatmania, Bomberman, and Adventure Island. Konami was has also developed great licensed games featuring characters from Warner Brothers, as well as the Ninja Turtles and The Simpsons. Konami was founded in 1969 as a jukebox rental and repair business in Osaka by Kajemasa Kozuki, who is still the company chairman. Imagine that, like, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a sad day when David Rosen dies, who, you know, helped co-found Sega and he's still on the board. Um, But imagine that the company, he's still the company chairman. That's a pretty lofty title, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and do you think he still comes to work every day and stuff, or do you think it's one of those, like, oh, it's just by title kind of a thing? You know, I can't say. I mean, it would, it doesn't sound like, I mean, would you come to work if if it was Konami? I don't know, it sounds fun, but at the same time, like, 1969, it sounds like a, 
time for the dude to retire. Um, sure. Now, Konami, what do you think Konami means? Because, of course, Sega is service games. Do you have any guesses? I actually don't have any guess. This is something I never even looked up or thought about before. I thought Konami was just a made-up word They that sounded cool. Like, I don't know. Like, just sounds yeah. like like entertainment. I don't know why. Konami or like, it's like anime cool. kind of in a way. Company. Like, company anime. Uh, anime company. Co- Konami, yeah, like maybe com commercial. No, it's not any of that. In fact, Konami actually comes from the names Kajemasa Kozuki, Yoshinobu Nakama, and Tatsuo Miyasako. (laughs) So it's the names. But like it is, so if it's you see it in our notes right here. On the yeah, yeah, form. it's Ko Kozuki Nakayama Miyasako Konami. So it's the first two letters of three guys' names. Um, not as exciting as I thought no. it would be. I was um, say. And that's actually it seems kind of rare too. I don't know of that many uh, Japanese game studios that has their name coming from something like Nintendo wasn't like. Ni, Gimara, yeah. Genobu, you know, yeah, something no. like that. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense then that the guy would still be around because he's like, my name's in the company name. Um, Konami has headquarters in Japan and American offices in El Segundo, California, which is their gaming division, and Paradise, Nevada, which is their gambling. So what are your opinions on Konami as a company? both today and back when you were a kid, and how do you think it compares to Sega? Mm, well, I, they never made a console, right? They were always felt no. like the big arcade person that never really, like... We're not, we're, they didn't even bother going in. I think they kind of knew that it was uh, a lot of work for them. Um, I, I'm going right. to be honest with you. I, I probably spent, as a kid... The most in arcades on Konami games. And, like, not even thinking about it, just because they had the licensing for Ninja Turtles and The Simpsons. So, like, every Mm. time you're a kid, you always go for what you know. You don't want to spend a quarter on a game you like, oh, what is this, Battle Beast? I never heard of this game. (laughs) Um, Oh, man, The Simpsons are right there? That game looks sick. So, and those beat them, and and that uh, that beat them up Konami formula. It just really worked all the time. It was like you knew the bread and butter. You knew you were going to have a good time smashing those buttons with your friends. So, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, th- that's how I remember as a kid, Konami. And I also remember the, uh, like, they used to release a bunch of uh, TMNT games on consoles, like Hyperstone Heist, the right uh, lost in, uh, what is it, Lost in Time or whatever. And then they had those NES games, too. Turtles in Time, yeah. Turtles yeah. in Time, yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, well, for me, uh, Konami was just, like, probably second to Sega in terms of my game library. I would have, like, Sonic, um, Hyperstone Heist. Like, those were my two kind of go-tos. And then I'd go to the store, and I'd I'd see that Konami logo, and I'd be like, well, I liked Hyperstone Heist, so I'll check out uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. I think they did an Animaniacs game. Um, obviously at the arcades, I love the Simpsons game and any of the other Ninja Turtles games. And then you kind of branch out from there. You're like, oh, what is it? Um, is it Sunset Riders? Is that Konami? 
I think it is Konami, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a poster, and it has, like, one of the Ninja Turtles, uh, uh, Montana Max, who was, like, the Yosemite Sam Tiny Toons kid, and then a Sunset Riders guy, and then someone else. And it's the weirdest poster. And I think because of that, Konami, like, I, I think they have a great, like, uh, lineup in the 90s, but I don't think they had a great um, cohesive feel. There's no. nothing that really screams to me the Konami feel. It's mainly quality licensed games and Kojima stuff. There's also and... <laughs> Castlevania and Contra. Right, yeah. And so I guess... Yeah, maybe that's a little unfair, but I just, I, it just never felt cohesive to me as a kid. And I think it may be because they relied really heavily on licensed games, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, it's great that they made great licensed games. As far as how it compares to Sega, it does really feel like they got they have similar roots. Um, Sega starting as a uh, photo booth company, and then their jukeboxes. Um, but it, it feels like Konami never really went as far as as far as or as successful as Sega, because, like as you said, they never tried a console, um, no. and I think that. That's kind of like the next level. Um, and, you know, they, nowadays, where what are they doing? Nowadays? They're a entertainment resource, like, they're a resort company for, like, that was the, after the whole Kojima fallout. Um, they made yeah. mobile games. I've heard they're making a lot of money off of that. But there's a lot of rumors going around right now that Konami is trying to get back into gaming and trying to use their IPs. I do know that they just announced a uh, Super Bomberman R Online, where it's kind of like Battle Royale, but Bomberman style, free to play. I don't know if that. I don't even know if that came out. I, I think I did a, like a joke tweet on our Sega Bits account just because <laughs> I was like, remember playing? Uh, remember how we used to play Bomberman? It was a sat the Saturn one with all the controllers. But yeah, yes, um, I remember that. It sucks because yeah. they're also sitting on Hudson Soft IPs, like, you know, Bomberman. So it's, like, it's right. really bad. I, I, I kind of wish somebody would just, like, Sega would just come in and buy them. But seeing how everything's going right now, it could be somebody like Microsoft instead. But uh, <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. Um, real quick, do you have a favorite Konami game? One Konami game is my favorite. You, like, it, it's, it's so hard to choose, like, one game. Mm-hmm. I would say one that changed my, like appreciation for the company where i was like wow these and it's gonna it's gonna be kind of stereotypical because like and i hate going for stereotypical games but <laughs> the first metal gear solid blew my mind when i first saw it i i just couldn't imagine that there were they would could be that much voice acting that crystal clear and like taking that seriously at the time it was that's just kind of creepy like i never played snatcher before that so when I when I saw my uh, friend playing it, I was like, "Wow, the way that the camera pans, the way it's just like a movie." So definitely yeah. uh, made me uh, buy that game. I bought it like the next week. I never even heard of that it was, until I saw my friend playing it. <laughs> that was kind of just like the game to own. I remember when mm. you had um, PlayStation, and then when PlayStation Two came out, you're like, "Well, you got to get the new Metal Gear Solid." That's how it it has been for a long time. Um, for me, I have to go with Hyperstone Heist, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just because I played the hell out of it, and it's what really introduced me to Konami. It's kind of the the Sonic to Sega for me, just in terms of just like very early memories. Um, and yeah, I've never actually played through a Metal Gear Solid game, but I've played a lot of them for like a little bit. 
I would say the only Konami game that I really like completed and really appreciate is actually Snatcher. So I'm mm. I'm very happy that I'm covering this because you know sometimes we don't finish some of the games that we cover. Um, <laughs> I mean I think we can admit to that, oh, for um, sure. but we we at least try to play them. Um, but it's so strange because in 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 Snatcher's case it's a rare game. It's so rare. Um, we'll get into later how much it's going for, but oh, there's no way I would ever want to own it. Not now. I kind of wish I bought it back when I saw it for like three hundred dollars. <laughs> you know? Oh God, um, is that much? Wow. Uh, we'll get into it. Uh, so before we do that, um, we're going to have some memories here from Daniel Andres. So let's let him take it away. And are we playing those live on the show right now? Yeah. Um, let me press play. Tell me if you can hear it. Holy moly okay. guacamole, Snatcher, the legendary Sega CD title by Hideo Kojima. I did not think you guys would do this game originally. Um, well, I mean, I did and I didn't. I don't know, because I know you mentioned before that you would do games like this. So I really am happy that you uh, went ahead and like did my request for this uh, episode. I'm really happy again, because this game is definitely one of my favorites on the Sega CD. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's the only other game I got to the end to on the Sega CD. So the only other Sega CD game that I beat besides Sonic CD. Um, I was just really invested with its story. And it really surprised me that it, had more than, that it has more than just three acts. And Police Knots is like designed like, you know, very similar. I think they both like, ha- well, Snatcher has like five acts, I think. And Police Knots has like ten or something. But I'm, mm. I'm still playing Police Knots and I'm really enjoying it. But Snatcher was quite an experience to remember. I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys might get into it later in, in the episode. But if um, there's anyone out there listening who hasn't played Snatcher yet, uh, check it out. Uh, unfortunately, this is the only version that will probably... Unless if you know Japanese, uh, this is the only version that you might, you know, that you're going to have access to playing um, that is, you know, in the native tongue of English. So, um... Yeah, so with that being said, I recommend, you know, emulating the game or possibly burning a disc for a for a Sega CD you might have because this is a very expensive pricey game. It's a $500 game, so Whoa. even more than that. No, so the way I was yeah. able to experience is that I burned it on a disc, I played it on my Sega CD, and I, and I enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I love Copyright. its animation, its voice acting, its premise, its story, its characters. Um, I fell in love with Mel Gear and um, Gillian Seed. They're just am- I love Gillian, man. They're just such great characters. And I forgot his, his name, but there's the guy with the blonde hair. Oh, ra- his mm. name is, like, Random Something, that guy. Yeah, he was really cool. I, he was, like, I fell in love with him. He was, like, Gillian's, like, rival buddy character. And then um, Jamie was a good character. I really liked Katrina and everything like i also really liked um well i liked everybody and mika and oh and harry how could i forget about harry harry was cool too so many great characters in snatcher so many great characters so many great characters and uh your informant character guy the napoleon guy i forgot his name he was okay too so snatcher um (laughs) if you like cyberpunk sci-fi stories like blade runner or akira or cyberpunk 2077 I recommend you check out Snatcher. And if you like Hideo Kojima games, like Metal Gear Solid or, you know, Police Knots. I mean, how, how, you can't go wrong with Police Knots or Metal Gear. Um, check out Snatcher, guys. It is an amazing game. Um, I just, I fell in love with it. I beat it just last summer. 
And uh, it was a game that went on and off with just, uh, over time, just because I didn't just didn't have to have the time to play it. But I'm happy that I sat down and got through it. You know, it's a point and click type style game. I'm um, I'm sure George and Barry will get more into it in the episode. But yeah, thanks again, guys, for picking this episode. <laughs> I'm really happy that you did. And check it out. And I don't think it's ever going to get re-released. No. Personal side note: What I would personally love to see is that hopefully Hideo Kojima or even Konami whatever, are able, if Kojima gets the right to do this, that Police Knots and Snatcher will get a release side-by-side, side, like, you know, a two-in-one pack for the PS4, PS5, and in the future, and PC and everything. It's crazy that that'd, be great to, that'd be great to see that. Like, the games do not have to be remade. In fact, Police Knots doesn't even have to be dubbed. We just need its English translation, and then we are set to go from there. So, like, minimal work, done and, and done. I would just love to see that happen, but I don't think so. I don't think Konami's, Konami's obviously not going to do that. But if Kojima could... That'd be great. So, again, that's all i got to say about Police Knots. I mean, Snatcher. About Snatcher. Um, <laughs> thanks again for doing this episode. And that's it. All right. Thanks again. Bye. <laughs> and, you know, he's wow. right. Like, that's the biggest surprise to me about the whole thing, you know? Like, they never re-released it. Can you... <laughs> Even oh, though I know. Kojima and... became, like... The yeah. Yuzuzuki of Konami. Yeah, it is it is surprising because, like, and, I mean, this will kind of be the end of the episode, too, but I'll just say, like, people are so precious about him. Hideo Kojima. Oh, my God. Oh, Hideo Kojima. And they're never like, here are the original games that he made for re-release, re-release, re-release. Give us your money. Like, they never did that. But with Sega, they're like, Yuzuzuki, the collected works. Yuzuzuki, yes. Sega Ages classic. Yuzuzuki. PlayStation 2, Sega... Like, Yu Suzuki's original games have been re-released ad nauseum, but... Not only this, that, no. they can't re-release them enough, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, diving into this now, believe it or not, Snatcher actually on the Sega CD was a re-release, if anything, a re-re-release, and a remaster of an earlier game. So, Snatcher, I mean, we gotta go back. It actually originally released to the Japanese PC-8801 and the MSX2 computers in 1988. This is an old game. Yeah. Um, then it came to the PC Engine Super CD-ROM in 1992. And then the Sega CD version was made specifically for the West. This really surprised me. I did not know this. The Sega CD version was made specifically for the West with Sega CD and Mega CD releases in America and Europe, respectively, with no Japanese equivalent. Wow. And it's funny I'm I'm learning that as I was doing the notes, because I remember when this game was going up in price, and I'm like, I'll import it. Yeah, I'll import it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so rare. No one has the Japanese ones for <laughs> sale, but it's because they don't exist. Yeah. And that's so rare. That is so, so rare. Like, even... Here, you know, uh, what did we just cover? We just covered Feel the Magic, and that released to the West first, and then came to Japan like a month later. I thought maybe we'd get like a Japanese release down the line, but we didn't. It wasn't actually until 1996 that the game saw Japanese release again on the Sega Saturn, as well as the Sony PlayStation. And how those compare to this, we will get into in a little bit, but... um uh, why do you think Konami favored the West over Japan in this instance? Oh. Um, I would say... I don't know. You know what? It's interesting. I want to say maybe the game didn't do so hot in uh, Japan, maybe. I don't know what the sales but figures it, it were. it did well. It did, It was actually? popular, I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder... I don't know. Maybe with the remake, 
they could only choose one. I don't know. It's so weird that they, they, they would skip Japan and just finally do it yeah. in America. But I would just want to, I would just assume this is Konami being Konami and just making bad decisions. Because, like, a lot Probably. of, like, Konami stuff, even when they do release a good game, it's like all the stories start coming out about how that, oh, Kojima didn't listen to anyone. It's Konami and did whatever he wanted. And it's like, well, yeah. Of right. Yeah. And, you so know, know, that's interesting because, you know, Snatcher was written and directed by Hideo Kojima, as we mentioned. A man so prolific that he could fill a whole episode, but since this is not Konami bits, we'll talk about Kojima a little later in the show. And this probably will be our only Kojima game ever, right? I mean... Um, we could do Police Nods maybe one day. Can we? I guess so. Can we? What is that on? Is that on Sega CD? It has to be on the Sega console, right? Come on. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> but believe it or not, Kojima was not directly involved with the Sega CD or even the 32-bit versions of the game. Um, Sega Saturn, there so, you go. Police nuts, next week. Oh, it was, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when did you become aware of Snatcher? And be honest, have you played it? Yes, and I became aware of it when I was basically waiting for Metal Gear Solid 4. So it wasn't like I played it, you know, back in the day or anything. But I totally remember somebody was like, oh, you never played the Sega CD Snatcher? Obviously, I, I was... During the early 2000s, I, you know, I figured out emulation. And so I would just go back and play like, oh, I never played Chrono Trigger. All right. So I would go mm -hmm. back and re and try to beat it on emulation. So then I would do this with right. rare games I would never be able to play. And um, this is one of the games, you know, that it was like, couldn't afford it. <clears throat> I guess I would just uh, emulate it. So that's what I, that's what I did with this. Um, uh, I mean, anything else you want to know about the game? I mean, the question was um, if I played it, right? Yeah, well, I can say ideas? that I've... Hmm? Oh, I didn't have any... I, I, can, I can say that I, I have played it to completion, which mm -hmm. I'm very proud of. Um, I will come out and admit that unless it's a platformer or maybe a fighting game, um, I rarely make it to the end. That's why I think games like this and Shenmue really stick with me because I'm like, oh, I completed it. And... I don't know, I, I don't really compare this to Shenmue at all, but there's just something about it that's just so playable and accessible. There's no walls that you hit in this game. It's not like, oh yeah, after this one part, you hit a boss and you can't beat it. It's like, it's it's a visual novel, pretty much. And I played it on a the GP2X Canoe, which was a, a Korean handheld that was open source. And so it had very, very good emulation. And so I played an emulated Sega CD game while I was commuting to work. And this game is six hours. So it took me a little over two weeks. Um, and like with save states and everything, I never really had to go back. It's not like they're like, you died, the game over, never play again. You know, it's more like, you died, continue. Um, and so... I got to enjoy it. I got to get really invested in it. And this is the first time I've really, you know, thought about the game again. So um, I'm looking forward to getting into this with you. So let's let's get into the intro now. I have a video here. It starts at 49 seconds. If we could take a peek um, just oh. to give people an idea of how the game starts. Is that what you want to see? 
Uh-oh. Yeah. See, I'm putting it up right now. She said it's full screen, so I have to, like, make it smaller. Oh, that's okay. I, I got it. Lucifer Alpha, a powerful biological weapon under secret development there, no, is released into the atmosphere, creating a deadly biohazard. Carried by the trade winds, Lucifer Alpha spreads throughout Eastern Europe and Eurasia, destroying 80% of the populace. Half of the world's people die. The greatest biohazard in history later becomes known simply as the Catastrophe. But at this time, who could have possibly imagined that the ultimate biohazard wouldn't occur for another half century? COVID. Fifty years later, mankind faces its greatest crisis. The appearance of a mysterious android life form. Its purpose and origin are unknown. Is it a new form of weapon? Or perhaps an invasion from some other world? They appear during winter, killing humans and infiltrating society by taking the place of their victims. Employing an artificial skin, they can sweat and even bleed. Part organic, part machine, they're almost impossible to distinguish from those they kill. Binary domain. As they steal <laughs> their victims' bodies in order to take their Everything's place, ripping off these mysterious invaders become known as Snatchers. Oh. So the, there you have it. Um, yeah, so pretty sweet setup. Um, and had we let it continue loading, you would then see some pretty lengthy credits, which I I feel like were kind of like a rare thing at the time when I was playing it. I'm like, holy crap, this is like movie credits. They're giving all the all the actors' names and, like, director names and all these things, which it makes sense, given it's a Kojima game. Um, now, Snatcher the Game sees you assuming the role of Gillian. Would you, do you call him Jillian or Gillian? Gillian. It's, it's Gillian, the name. Gillian. Isn't I know, I always think... name, too? Well, G- Gillian, Gillian Anderson from The X-Files. There you uh, go. That's <laughs> Gillian Seed. Um, a former soldier suffering amnesia who has an obsession with snatchers. Maybe he likes the video game. Uh, Seed enlists in the Junker Agency, which is run by the Japanese government, with the goal of eliminating snatchers. Over the course of the story, Seed uncovers a conspiracy that threatens the existence of the human race itself. So, at first glance, and I think you already said it, what does snatcher remind you of? (laughs) Um, I mean, Blade Runner? I mean... Gideon's seed definitely has that whole like uh, vibe of the lead character of Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. like the trench coat, and uh, he's like in the, investigating these uh, Blade Runners or uh, Snatchers in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Blade Runner and Terminator, pretty much. Um, do you think it's unique enough a story, at least from the setup standpoint? To stand apart from its inspirations, I, if you just saw like the 
like the overview of the story, you'd probably think, yeah, yeah. this is just a ripoff. But I think when you go deeper into the story and the characters, it's kind of like they uh, took a concept from a sci-fi and they really like animified it or whatever. Like they Japanese, you know, they, they did their own spin <laughs> on it. And it kind of reminds me of like... Absolutely. And it kind of reminds me of like, I'm trying to think of other things like... 13 Cent, uh, I, I beat it uh, not that long ago, but 13 Sentinels by Atlas, it just takes a bunch of stuff from, like, sci-fi, and they just throws it all in this pot, and then, like, you're like, <laughs> oh, that's War of the Worlds, oh, that's this, or that's right. that, and then, but they make it good enough to stand on its own. Yeah, and, you know, I, I feel like at the time, in the 80s, when this game originally released, a lot of Japanese developers were really into American movies and Western movies, and I think there was this thought where it's like, I'm not ripping off, I'm making the video game equivalent of this movie I love. And that makes total sense, because at the time it wasn't like you were getting like, I mean, maybe you were getting Atari Star Wars, but it's not like anyone was making an adventure Star Wars game with the plot and the characters. So, you know, in this case, it's like, oh, Blade Runner's sweet, Terminator's cool. There's no like true Blade Runner Terminator video game, so let's make one. And... You know, we'll get into some uh, pretty blatant uh, ripoffs later on. But, like, you know, I, I think it's an homage. I think it's kind of a, an attempt to make an unofficial fan game of movies that they love. Uh, so let's talk about the characters here. We got some sweet trading card artwork. And I, I believe these came from a fan site called Junker HQ. Um, there is a ton of like goofy snatcher merchandise including these cards so i pulled them when i could but man i i can't say <laughs> but I bet I, it has to be for like a lot because like i was looking through the images and they're really low resolution so if somebody actually owned them in the fan community they would have scanned higher resolution ones i think right all right so here we go snatcher cards complete basic set of one through 90 sold for 250 dollars on in february and that's just um, cards. It's not even the game, you know? <laughs> the Police Knots cards sold for a little under 300 Let's see. I'm seeing some other Snatcher cards here. Um, 18 cards sold for $40. So nothing crazy. I mean, some are kind of crazy, but some aren't. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the characters here. So we have the trading card for Gillian Seed. Uh, age 31, which is an estimate. Um, he's a former member of the Siberian Special Investigation Force, a multinational unit from Asia. Suffering from amnesia, Seed cannot remember anything from his past except for the word snatchers. His identity was discovered thanks to his personal belongings. Believing, believing that they hold the mystery to his past, Seed travels to Neo Kobe City and enlists in the Junker organization to discover his past. He is currently living apart from his wife, Jamie Seed, who was also discovered alongside him several years ago. The main character of the story, Seed's personality, is mostly dependent on the actions of the player, but he is generally depicted as a likable knucklehead, which is popular in Japan at the time, um, yeah. with a tendency of grabbing anything that is not nailed down into his deep pockets and a bit of a failed womanizer. Uh, he sounds like a like, Yakuza character. Yeah, I was going to say, he's very much like... Uh... Lupin the Third too. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's a knucklehead in the thing, but like I, I actually read the Blade Runner book uh, by Philip K. Yeah. Dick, the Electric, 
And he was super womanizer in that thing to the point where he like falls in love with the one of the robots. The, the, hey, like, who wouldn't? So like, um, yeah, this, this yeah, he's definitely influenced by that one hundred percent. But why is well, it? Let's esti- talk about thirty-one estimate. Hmm? And this is already like when you're a kid and you remember uh, Gillian Seed, you're probably like, you probably thought, man, this guy is a gazillion years old. He knows everything. He's the Siberian Special Investigation Force. <laughs> But yeah, I don't he's a youngin. Yeah. Uh, well, you wanted to show someone even younger. We have Metal Gear Mark II. He is one year old because he was just born. Um, he is a sentient AI whose physical appearance is modeled after the famous walking battle tank from the late 20th century. Ooh. So right here, we've already ex- established that Snatcher is the distant future of Metal Gear uh, Solid. So that's kind of cool. Um, de- developed by Harry Benson. All junker investigators are accompanied by a navigator which acts as a mobile computer, telephone, and storage unit. Metal, as his friends call him, has a nearly human personality and has a rather sarcastic personality. He especially seems to enjoy making fun of Gillian's antics whenever possible. He's a cute little guy. Um, (laughs) We have Jamie Seed, 29 years old, estimated... Again, no one asked her, so we just have to estimate. This is Gillian's estranged wife. She and Seed separated a few years ago after they were unable to remember anything about their past together. She's a very caring and compassionate person. Jamie currently works as a researcher in Neo Kobe Pharmaceuticals. And I, the one thing that really sticks with me, because I completed this game like 10 years ago probably, is that... I remember how sad it was to be like talking to your wife and she's like doesn't remember you and you broke up not because you don't love each other but because you forgot about each other and that's it's, that's pretty it's a pretty sad. smart it's a smart way of using the plots like the the whole oh this character has amnesia and he washed up to the island is such a like cliche plot point mm-hmm. that but it never it, it's never taken further it's like you fall on this island and you meet brand new people Everything about your past really doesn't matter, and if it does matter, it's like, oh, you're the bad guy or something, or something stupid like that, right? right? But you never, like, have to talk to your ex-wife when you forgot about your relationship or anything like that, right? So I thought it was interesting, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting way of handling that. Um, Next we have, uh, (laughs) it was mentioned at the beginning, Random Hajil. We don't know how old he is, thankfully. He is a bounty hunter that is active in the Neo-Kobe area who has already eliminated a few snatchers on his own. His past is shrouded in mystery. And if you think we're going to reveal that, we're not doing spoilers on this, so I'm not going to talk about what happens in the end because you should play this game. Anyway, Katrina Gibson coming up next. She is... Now, this is interesting. She's 18, but in the Japanese version, she's 14. Uh, she doesn't look... So, I mean, I, I'm not an expert in ages, but, like, she kind of looks like Sarah from uh, Virtual Fighter, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll get into why they aged her up uh, well, later on. But she is the only child of Jean-Jacques Gibson. Katrina is a model whose appearance can be seen around the city. She is a smart and strong-willed young woman. And Katrina can be very vulnerable at times. Uh-oh. And here we have her daddy... Jean-Jacques, or Jean-Jacques Gibson. He is 55, no estimates here. 
He is a former detective and crime scene investigator. Gibson joined the Junker after 30 years of service. Gibson's wife was killed during the Bioroid scare of 46, and as a result, he has a deep hatred for the Snatchers. With a degree in psychology, Gibson is an excellent investigator who brings his considerable experience to the field and one of the best members of the Junker organization. Um, Then we have Mika Slayton, age 23. She is the operator of the Junker HQ. Mika is a very smart and empathetic woman who is coming from a mixed Jewish and Japanese household, Uh, double majoring in both criminal psychology and municipal data management. Mika briefly worked as a civilian contractor for the Special Criminal Research Center of the Neo-Kobe Police. Unfortunately, the emotional toll from dealing with both victims and criminals became too much for her, and she resigned from her position. A very beautiful young lady, Mika will support Gillian during his mission in any way possible, assuming that she will not snap and break him in half after his repeated wooings. So maybe don't hit on her. Uh, This is what I think is weird. So let, let me tell you about these next two guys. First, we have Benson Cunningham. Age unknown, Cunningham is the current commander of the Junker Agency. Cunningham was Special Forces soldier in his younger days and even participated in Operation Foxhound during the 20th century. Before becoming the head of Junker, Cunningham was the leader of an anti-snatcher task force of the Neo-Kobe police. He is calm, rational, and a brilliant strategist, and he's well-versed in science, law, and linguistics, and he has a black belt in judo. So this is Benson Cunningham. But then next we have Harry Benson. So they have two characters who both work for Junker. One is first name Benson. One is last name Benson. They ran out of names. They (laughs) ran out of names. (laughs) And so they have Harry Benson here, age 55. I mean, on one hand, I think that's like, kind of stupid but on the other hand it it feels more real world because have you ever worked at a place and you're like oh there's two guys on our team with the same first name yeah so you know there's that um ben harry benson is 55 he is the chief engineer of the junker responsible for creating many technological devices that investigators use he became orphaned during the catastrophe and taken in by the japanese government who paid for his education He's a brilliant scientist. Benson attained his PhD at the age of 14 and won a Nobel Prize three times. Benson is a bit of a cultural throwback to the 20th century, often drinking and reminiscing about the good old days. So this guy, he he's kind of like us because he talks about the 20th century. He's like, man, those were the days. But the days were like, no. you know. 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. 20, about 20 years. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 20 years for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like that guy because I remember I was playing. I'm like, oh, he's like my age. <laughs> you know, like if he were alive now, he'd be me. Um, now we have Napoleon, age unknown. He is Gibson's informant. Almost nothing is known about Napoleon's identity. He is believed to be a Chinese man who entered Japan illegally oh, and God. has been living in Neo Kobe. Oof, his his drawing oh, is very stereotypical. Like, wow, okay. He is. Um, the only proof of his identity is his tendency of sneezing. So, there you go. Oh. Um, and then, fine. <laughs> you have some more to say about this offensive character? Offensive? Get him off the screen. That's how I dress. What's wrong with that? 
<laughs> God. Let's get Isabella up here. Uh, we have Isabella, Isabella Velvet. Vel, Velvet. 24. She is a famous hologram star. Velvet gained several awards in rapid succession. She was the first discovered by director... This is funny. So she was first discovered by director Ridley Scotty when she was dancing at the nightclub Outer Heaven. So even the very even clear the name Ridley Outer Scott Heaven is a reference to yeah. Metal Gear Solid. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so there you go. Um, what do you think about the cast? And do you have any favorites here? Of course, the cast makes the game. Uh, to pick a favorite, I mean. I always thought it was interesting. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Random. What's his name? I forgot his last name. Random Hajul. Yeah, because it's like he's such a weird looking character. He kind of reminds me of like, a, I don't know, his drawing, his little art thing. I'm trying to get it back. He looks like a freaking psycho. He has that, the, the spiky hair though, but he has this like minor receding hairline and he gives me this whole like he's a junker dude he's like uh scummy i don't know why right when i saw him i was like this guy is there's something here obviously i can't go into it but he's a bad guy yeah anyway but yeah i i liked him as a character and i thought that i thought all the characters did that he did a good job and i thought he did i mean the game I mean, he came up with the concept before 1988, and that's kind of crazy, the idea of making profiles that isn't like, this guy is special forces, and he hates bad guys, so he fights bad guys. Mm -hmm. It's like, you didn't have, like, uh, these kind of profiles for, like, Contra characters or Castlevania characters. I feel like... Right. He he overthought about... I think he wanted... I mean, obviously, he wanted to be a movie director. He didn't want to make video games, but... You could tell that he really thought about the characters and, like, the, uh, just, like, making them interesting, like, having a half-Japanese, half-Jewish household and all that. Like, those little things like that really made the difference, I think, to make them unique. And, you know, to go back to what we were talking about uh, a, a bit ago, when I said I didn't feel like Konami had, like, a real feel to it, I think it's because the Kojima stuff really exists in a bubble, like, if he left the company and just kept making these games, I wouldn't be looking at, like, a Metal Gear game without the Konami logo and going, man, something's missing. You know, it's not like... I feel like it's not like Shenmue and Sega and Yu Suzuki. I feel like Shenmue feels more like Shenmue when it's it has that Sega influence, whereas here, it really feels like Kojima almost, like, outgrew Konami or was, like kind of his own thing it's, and just here uh-huh i was gonna say it's just kind of like how uh, when a sega game comes out it's like sega logo here sega logo there and it feels like more him he's like uh i'll reference my other games but like you never i don't think he there was a reference to like contra or castlevania like there's not somebody reading a castlevania comic book or something like that you know what i mean right well you know what actually there are a lot of konami character cameos but they are not from him remember this this port was not his doing so oh, okay okay any any konami like additions you see are them replacing things that he put in there that were either copyright infringements or they just wanted to have fun i guess so but you're right though he definitely kind of avoided that um Talking about the gameplay now, the the gameplay is very much in the vein of PC point-and-click adventure styles. 
Um, I think that's what uh, was mentioned at the beginning there. However, um, it, it differs a little bit, and we'll get into that. Uh, but when you kick off the game at Junker HQ, Gillian, Gillian meets his co-workers. He acquires his gun, his robot navigator. So it's very much, you know, by the book introductions. I feel like a lot of RPGs have done this too, where it's like, where am I? I don't remember who I am. And then they're like, welcome to this place. Here are your weapons. Here's your friends. Go have fun. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it is a very kind of stereotypical beginning to a adventure or RPG video game. Um, as for Metal Gear, the little robot, not the series, he's very important. He acts as your menu system, allowing you to store data, make calls, and save your game. Uh, from there, you're thrown into the action with a call from Jean-Jacques Gibson to head to a deserted factory to catch some bad dudes And after you arrive. So remember I read that big description of Jean-Jacques Gibson? Yeah. He's dead. They tore his head off. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's they, the it's they like put the all image... this, and he had a trading card. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I was going to say. It's like he's the big image that you see everywhere with the bloody head or whatever. When they you mm-hmm. you search up the game, they they always have like the gory scene where they show his head. Right. Yeah. And so it's interesting that they put all this effort into designing him, making this backstory, and he dies. And you know, I I said we're not going to have a lot of spoilers on this. But that's not even a spoiler. That's like the setup to the game, pretty much. Like, you get that in the first five minutes. Um, so what you are doing in the game is you are picking up Gibson's lead. So I think they put the effort into that because he is you. He is like kind of like almost a part of you because you're following what he has been doing. You're kind of picking up his story. And so Gillian begins his adventure, and over the course of three acts... The mystery of Snatcher is revealed. And I know there was a question of how many acts this game has. I think the idea is it's kind of like there's an intro, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and then Act 3 kind of has a conclusion bit to it. So I could see how it feels like 5. What are your thoughts on point-and-click games in general? And do you think their nature actually lends themselves to being good for fast-paced action games? And before you answer, I will point out that like D was kind of a point-and-click adventure game. It really was. I would say stuff like like Persona 5 even has like visual no- novel aspects where like a lot of the game is just a, a character talking to you. And honestly, mm-hmm. sometimes those aspects of the game are what draws me, draws me to come back when they're so well-written. You're like, hey, I want to see what happens to these uh, characters. Or There's also the Tall Tale games that like uh, did The Walking Dead and all that and sold gazillions of mm-hmm. copies. Uh they're trying to reinvent a point-and-click adventure or novel-style games. As for point-and-click adventures, when I was a kid, I hated them. I thought I thought they were like, <laughs> I just didn't understand them. Especially when I used to play like some of the smaller, like some of the PC stuff where you would get stuck. We you know those ones where you have to like get a tool, and then now you have to go. Oh, you're stuck in this room. How do you get out of the room? And then you have to figure out where to click right. to, and like what to put together. Ow, I used to hate those games because I would get stuck on them all the time. Right. So I guess, yeah. I guess it depends on the execution of the game and how they, uh, how easy they made it. Now as an adult, I have, obviously I piece it together, and if I can't, I just look, I just look it up online so I can enjoy the story. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I actually I grew up um, on an IBM PS2 computer, which is super old if you look that up. So that's really dating me. 
But there were so many point-and-click games on that. Hugo's House of Horrors. Uh, there was a fantastic Roger Rabbit game where you would mm. have this. And I don't even know if you can emulate it. i got to play it again. But it's it would start off in a, like a scene, and Roger Rabbit would be here. And you had to set point-and-click and like set everything so that you click kind of like start, and Roger would go through and like trip and then slip and then like hit his head and then jump and then hit the fan and it was like it was so fun because it was almost like a platformer point and click in in the case of this game though it's not so interactive like that there isn't even actually any point pointing or clicking um snatcher is actually like more menu based in its execution so players have commands like move look investigate and they can use various items. And this might sound like a step back, but for someone who's played games like Monkey Island and, like I mentioned, Hugo's House of Horrors, it is a chore to pixel hunt and click every corner of the screen. Because sometimes it'll be like you click a guy, you click a guy, and then you click his nose, and they're like, oh, that's where that booger is. you know, And you're like, oh, I had to click his nostril? Like, it's so specific. Um so at least in here, I think Snatcher kind of excels just because, like I mentioned, this game is an action-adventure game, but it's point-and-click. But I think they, by simplifying things, they make for a speedier adventure. So if you're in a room, you just look. You don't have to click around. You just say, look, and it'll look at what you need to look at. Um, the only problem is you can't do specific actions like open or pick up. So if you want to open a door, you kind of have to like look at and use a door, which makes no sense. Like, do you want? Can, hey, George, can you go use the door? You sure, I'll go uh, open the door. No, 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 no. No, go look use. at it and then use it. <laughs> you think it's Japanese? Well, I mean, you said it was made for here. I don't know. If we're gonna get into the development of it, but like, is that it? Was it yeah. still made from by a Japanese staff? Yeah, yeah, it was. So I think. I mean, I, I have played some text adventure games where you type things in and it'll be like, um, look at the floor. You looked at the floor. You see a wrapper. Pick up wrapper. Don't know what pick up means. Get wrapper. You grabbed it. And I, it's I, like, you don't know what... Yeah, I've never so played one of those. I never played one of those, but like... When I was watching the Netflix, they did the whole thing, like the history of games or whatever. You know, they, like, there's one on like the CBS, the the Sega one. And then there was Tom Kalinske was also on this other one. But anyway, they, they, they showed those mm-hmm. games and I'm like, I can't even just imagine myself sitting in the basement typing words, hoping to get get by to pick the right word. I yeah. can't even put two items together in a visual. I mean, in these point-and-click adventure games, so good luck. There's a few I played that were completely text-based. Based one was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is kind of funny because it makes fun of text adventures. Another one is actually... I feel like it must be dark web stuff. It was on a disc, and it was like 100 freeware games, and it was called oh, Torture. No. And you basically torture someone, but it's all text. And so it says, like, put the thumb screws in. How many thumb screws? And I'll be like, a hundred. And it's like, game over. You killed your, your victim. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's like, and after watching Game of Thrones, I'm like, right, you got to flay the finger a little bit and then leave them. To, That's all yeah. you got to do. Yep. <laughs> so I've learned. Um, so, yeah. So 
Do you think this simplification was a good idea, or would you have preferred this game to be like point and click, where you have a little cursor, you move no, it around there? No way, no, no way. There's no, there's no reason like to it. like, you know, there's no reason to do that in my opinion. Just give the story. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So in the home country of Japan, um, and we've been using this term, Snatcher was known as a visual novel, which is probably better described. Um, describing the game than point and click or even text adventure because it's its own genre um that has not really taken off in the west but there are some visual novels that have become i wouldn't just say quite popular i'd say insanely popular and there's one that's coming to mind i will raise no objections and there is no right or wrong answer but can you tell me what game i'm thinking of phoenix right Ace Attorney. That's right, dude. Yeah. I used to play the. I used so, to play the the. Oh my god, when those when I got a uh, little R four thing where you could like pirate mm-hmm. games. Oh my god, I, I was playing mm-hmm. through those games. Those games were addicting. Yeah, great games. They brought Phoenix right to iPhone, and it was perfect. It had the dual the dual screen. It was wow. all touch, and it was probably one of the best like iPhone ports I ever played. Because I went back and I played it on the uh, DS, and I was like, oh, this is not as good, actually. But yeah, those games are fantastic, and that's why I feel like now, um, as mentioned at the top of the show, like, bring these back. Like, Phoenix Wright is so popular. In fact, they're bringing more Phoenix Wright games over the Sherlock yeah, Holmes yeah. one, I think. Yeah, or it's like um, Herlock Shalomes or something, <laughs> whatever. Herlock Shalomes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and but I think what helps too is Kojima kind of elevates it because, you know, the game's world it's it's fleshed out. Um, you can read the supercomputer at the HQ and get all of these these character bios. You can read up on the past, and I feel like that's something we do a lot in RPGs now. Like you collected a page of history, and you know you compile like a fifty-page book and you can read it. Do you ever read that stuff? Uh, like all th- all the way through? N- no, well. You know what? The only time, uh, sometimes, I mean, it depends on how, like, obsessed or whatever I get to with it. But, like, I remember when I would play, like, Metal Gear Solid, they had briefing missions. Like, like, mm-hmm. like little cutscenes where it's just basically just, like, a drawing with, like, some filter and then text with voice acting. Mm-hmm. And I used to watch those things when I was a kid all the time. Like, I wanted to know every single thing about Snake and his mission and all the things that was happening. So... I would go in and then unlock all the files and stuff, and it would give you more cutscenes and more cutscenes to look through. I was, mm-hmm. I liked, uh, so, yes, in a way, yeah, I guess I, I, I do, but yeah. What about you? Yeah, well, I, I know Shenmue was infamous for it with the passport, and I believe what was so weird about it was you had to log into the internet to read bios of the characters when they could have easily put it on a disc, but I did that. I'd be like, oh, what's the the burger chef what's his deal so i'd read (laughs) like his birthday and his blood type and crap like that um but then on on the other side snatcher also has a gun mechanic in my opinion this is woefully underused now i played it as i said on a like handheld nowadays though i do have the justifier gun um and the way this works then is you're playing the game with your controller but you should always have that justifier gun plugged in and sitting there. And during the six hours time that you are playing the game, you're probably only going to be seeing this happen two or three times, which I think is a real shame because it works 
surprisingly well. It's a three by three grid, and it's sort of like a game of whack-a-mole. I'd kind of describe it also as kind of like Samba de Amigo, where it's just like, duk, 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 duk. you know, you move the gun around and it, it switches to the place it should be. It's very simplistic, but it works as a very fun little mini game. It's just, it's such a shame that like, you know, you get this cool gun with lethal enforcers, you have it hooked up, you're ready to play, and you only use it two or three times. Um, I personally think it's a wasted opportunity. I think it would have been really cool to have like a training room or to have this come up a lot more often. Did you remember this mechanic? I'm. Tr- I was. All, I was just thinking about. It. I was like, light gun. I'm like, I remember. I remember maybe seeing the cover saying light gun, but like, I don't remember this being a light gun game. It felt kind of like added on. Uh, when I, when I it was it, and, for sure. Uh, was this in every single version of the game, or just the Sega CD version of it? Just the Sega CD version. You're right. So when you look at the cover of the game, it says compatible with the Justifier game accessory. And when you're going to slap that like on the cover and see the guy with the gun, you think this game's going to really rely on it, on it or, or be a light gun game. And it's really, it's, it's a visual novel with a mini game that I wouldn't even call it a mini game. It pops up two or three times. Um, I just, I think this game, as much as people love it, it would have been elevated so much if they like doubled that. If, if there was even like 10 times you used it, that would be enough. And I think that would be enough to really make more of an impact. Because then you're like playing the game, but you always need to have that gun at your side. Because maybe you're like, oh, they're going to start attacking me. Boom, 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 boom. And they just they don't use it that much. I don't know why. Maybe because on the PC version, like, they didn't think ahead and think, oh, it's going to use a light gun someday. I don't know. So if I could say one negative, that would be it. But it's not a really bad negative because I don't know maybe people wouldn't like it um it's doubtful that Snatcher would have been as memorable had it not had voice acting yeah and not just any voice acting it had good voice acting (laughs) so in a rare instance a 90s video game had effort put put into both the translating of the game script and the hiring of competent voice actors I remember myself playing this for the first time and I was like these sound good. It's not like, don't come, don't come, please don't shoot me, you know, like House of the House, Dead. Yeah, um, <laughs> that has its charm too. <laughs> Gillian was played by Jeff Lupatin, who isn't that well known. He narrated three documentaries, The Beatles, Marilyn Monroe, and James Bond, before playing Gillian. And he has since only done a few acting jobs, including the voice of I Am Hungry, in the McDonald's cartoon, <laughs> uh, a voice in Red Faction, and appearing in one episode of Chicago Fire. In fact, none of the actors really have careers outside of this game. And do you think maybe it's because the voice actors were in an industry that was just not ready for them at the time? Uh, maybe. Like, let's look back and like think about like how many games during this time even used voice actors and I, right. I and I think maybe a lot of it has to do with the directing whoever did the voice directing like Sega was pretty terrible at like getting talent or like whoever did their voice mm. work like they would be like they one were take. awful at yeah. it they're like don't come don't come yeah that's good alright next line like get out of here and I love Yu Suzuki but I've heard horror stories of just how poorly he directs 
voice actors. He's like, oh, you're an old man now. I wasn't hired to be an old man. Be an old man. (laughs) Wow, yeah, not good. It's like he was trying to save money in voice acting and it was like putting all the money into graphics and music. But, uh, right, but here they're they're so it makes the characters so endearing, and as you know, the the in game art's great, the writing's great, and then you have the voice acting on top of it, and it's just it's great. I love it. It's it's really good. It's surprising. It's shocking. I will say um, that Sega got a lot better with the Yakuza uh, English voice actors. Oh yeah, now. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but imagine this: the first English Yakuza is like. Not great compared to Snatcher, which cra- came out in 1994. No, and it's, it's crazy. Cra- it's also crazy that like the worst voice actor in Yakuza Seven is the guy that played Kazuma in the first one. When he comes out, I'm like, oh, dude, this guy, oh, he can't act. He's just like, oh, hey, everyone, hi. It's yeah, like, I mean that was a fun, a fun little throwback. But you're also like, well, if you can't get Mark Hamill back, maybe not get this guy back. You know, that's funny, um, right? Mark Hamill would yeah. have been the biggest actor they would have brought back. He doesn't remember it, though. Um, so, in total, Snatcher, uh, jumping back in here, it takes six hours to play. And it's actually quite forgiving. Some would classify it as easy, but I would say it is the perfect difficulty in length. And do you think Snatcher would probably be as beloved now had it been like a 14-hour game and mm-hmm. had like... A difficult boss halfway through. You know, maybe I would say no, but like, uh, you know, it, it's hard to tell because even Yakuza games where they're like they're pushing some of the stories where like even when you play, you're like, all right, it was cool, it was thirteen chapters, but chapter five, six, and seven were just side side missions where you're like t- chatting with other characters. It it doesn't, it's not moving the 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 story forward. Maybe he could have done stupid like take your girlfriend shopping uh, <laughs> chapter <laughs> to fill it in and get more character in. I mean, it depends on how they do it, but at this time, definitely not. You you wanted to be as slim and as uh, hard hitting as possible and get you out of there because I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, how many games are even six hours? Like, Super Mario World does not take you six hours to beat. Like, if you're good at the game. You'll mm-hmm. you'll go through it quick. Like you probably speedrunners could probably do it in three hours. So like, right? Yeah, they didn't have difficulty. So I would say six hours is a great length for a visual novel. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like I said, I, I beat this game about ten years ago, and I want to go back and play it again. I was actually uh, looking into how to maybe burn myself a copy, or you know, just Pirating, play it on my computer. Huh? But yeah, um, yeah, I know. I should really splash out for the uh retail release or just get the um, ever because i don't want i that's what i plan to do um but i don't want to get kojima mad at me because the game's creator hideo kojima let's get his beautiful face up here he never ages this is a is 1988 the... picture right <laughs> <laughs> might as well be um he ranks high among game developers i think he's seen as an art a tour of video games. He grew up with an interest in action-adventure films and literature, and in 1986 he was hired by Konami and created wow. Metal Gear a year later for the MSX2. Metal Gear was one of the earliest stealth games and launched not only a genre, but a franchise for which he is best known for. 
Um, what I, we kind of discussed this already, but like, what do you think about the Metal Gear franchise as a whole? And do you think I'm indifferent? It, <laughs> like, I love. Is it? When did it them. go downhill? In my opinion, dude. Oh man, when I was a kid, I was so upset with Metal Gear Solid Two. Don't even like the just that they fake like. When I played Metal Gear, I mean, people are going to hate me for this. I always get, like, people go, there's a lot of people that like to. So, like, because mm-hmm. it kind of pulls the rug under you what you think a game is going to be like. And I get their point of view. But when I was a kid, when I played Metal, Metal Gear Solid 1, they always talked about all these great adventures that, like, uh, Solid Snake winning on. And, like, they're teasing that even the, mm-hmm. the conspiracy goes up to the president and all this stuff. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> man, it, the next one's going to be the U.S. government after Met, uh, Solid Snake. And it's going to be, like, more espionage, maybe open world, some crazy things. Right. And then you play, and you're playing a totally different character. And the story is, like, some dude cut his hand off. And now this dude is that dude with the hand cut off. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? But <laughs> and I like Metal Gear Solid 3. They, it's almost mm-hmm. like that scene in Sopranos, right? I thought I was out, but they pulled me back in. And then uh, I also like... Oh, he's uh, quoting another... Yeah. yeah, he's quoting The Godfather. I know. Uh, is it The Godfather? Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Pull me back in. I just watched the, la- the, last se- the first season not that long ago. But... Um, oh. Yeah. I might just start watching Sopranos again. Don't don't talk about <laughs> it. I've watched it three times already. I'll do it a fourth. But uh, as you, from an outsider's perspective, what is your opinion mm-hmm. on the Metal Gear Solid franchise and like how huge it got for Konami? Man, like I I I have the first Metal Gear. I think it's NES one. Maybe it's Metal Gear two. But um, once it started to hit the PlayStation two and get all 3D. I was kind of jealous. I thought it looked really cool. Mm. Um, And then when I got a PlayStation 2, I rented it, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool, but it's like the cutscenes are insanely long. Mm. Um, The graphics are kind of blurry and very green. That's what I remember. That's totally Um, PS2 stuff, though. Like, the PS2 just has, like, really blurry output. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I just remember it being, like, Kind of like Yakuza in the sense that it doesn't take its it takes itself seriously, but then it does the most wackiest, funniest things. Yeah, and that's for sure. That's what I kind of like about it because it knows it's a video game, and it's like you know what we're gonna be serious, but then we're gonna like be like hiding in a box is totally normal. Um, and then of course you have the the iconic you know exclamation point the whoop, which was actually in Wreck It Ralph. I watched that recently, so that's in there. Nice. Um, but yeah, there was that 3DS one, I think, that used the camera. Do you remember that? And you could take pictures of camouflage. I think it might be the third game, Twin but like Snakes. remake. It might have been, Twin, Twin Snakes is the GameCube one. I'm pretty sure that was the Metal Gear Solid 3. I never played it, actually. Yeah. Let me Google it. So, you know, it's fun, innovative, yeah. but now that he's moved on, it's, last I remember what Platinum Games was making them. They um, made a like a bayonetta style Metal Gear Revengeance or whatever it was called. Uh, yeah, game. and I suck at that game so bad. Like I try beating it because everyone's like, "It's so good, it's so good." But like they have this mechanic where you have to parry instead of like I think mm-hmm. dodge. So when they hit you, you have to time your button to like smack it at the right moment. I can't get this man. I'm too old for that man. I can't get the timing down. <laughs> I'm just eating hit hits left and right. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. 
Um, you know, Kojima, he's done some other games, too. We have Zone of Enders. Mm-hmm. Have you played those? I did play Zone of Enders. Yeah. Uh, first PlayStation 2 game I ever played. I think I own that. I'll have to go look. Yeah. Um, when I At my old job, a co-worker was like, I have a bunch of PS2 games. I'll give them to you. So I think that was in there. Um, also, there was Snatcher, Police Knots, as we've mentioned. In 2005, Kojima founded Kojima Productions within Konami, and in 2011, he was made VP of Konami Digital Entertainment. In 2015, his production studio split for Konami, and he created 2019's Death Stranding. And I remember seeing that collector's edition at Best Buy. It's huge. Yeah. Um, seeing as film and literature are major influences on his work, Snatcher clearly was inspired by Blade Runner, the Terminator, and the classic The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Even characters within the game look like film characters, so let's check these guys out. We have Random, Hajil looking just like Sting's Fade Rautha Harkonnen from Dune. That's why I don't trust them. He's Sting, dude. Nobody trusts Sting. Exactly. (laughs) And then one Snatcher looks just like Roy Batty from Blade Runner. Oh, and it's yeah. not like looks just like like it's the same collars, the same clothing. It's such a ripoff. They use them as um, reference for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, more than reference. Like, oh, I want them to look like this guy, and they're like, oh, we'll just copy it. Um, now we do have here. So this is a Schmupulations article, and they've always been so helpful. So check them out at s h m u p l a t i o n s dot com. Um, they do awesome interviews that are translated from like old publications. So let me take a drink of water here. I don't know how much I'll read of this, but I just thought this was really interesting because it was not so much an interview. He wrote this about Snatcher, and so little is said about the game's development that Look it was young. cool to see. Look how young yeah. he is right there. He looks older there. <laughs> yeah, somehow. I think it's a suit, right? <laughs> Um, so Snatcher was released for the PC Engine last year. This is him writing on October 23rd. Time sure has flown by. It's almost been a year and a half. Now with some distance between it and me, I can look back on Snatcher and share my memories of it. So this is him doing a retrospective (laughs) just after the game came out. There's something lonesome about it, but I'll do my best now to respond to the questions and comments you've all sent in. In the letters I've received, the most common question is, what happened to Gillian and everyone after the game? It ends on a tantalizing note with Gillian deciding to go back to the Snatcher factory in Siberia, and I realize it's natural to want to know what happens next, but I don't think it's wise for me to answer that question. There are things I'd personally like to do and see happen, but it's not. But that is my perk as a developer. It isn't the Snatcher that already exists in your hearts. Uh, Gillian, Jamie, and the others are now all a part of you, and I think it's best that each person's vision of their future be allowed to grow in its own way. Um, Snatcher is now out of the hands, out of our hands as developers, and you could say it's walking on its own, as our decision to not depict the Siberia Auto Factory is part of that. So what he's talking about here is that the game ends on a cliffhanger. And that was intentional, and he says, it's not even like he was setting up a sequel, it was just like, I want the game to live on in your hearts, without an ending. Um, what do you think about that? That's that's kind of shitty. I feel like... I feel um, and, I'm t- and I'm not talking about the Sega CD version, I'm talking about the PC Engine, like the earlier ones. 
Okay, okay. Um, that is kind of shitty, but I, it feels kind of like a... Uh, I'm done with this. Uh, moving on now. Thank you guys for uh, everything you guys... Uh, I don't know. It's weird, right? Kind of reminds me of, right. the, of what really Scott would say after the movie Blade Runner where they asked him, Oh, is uh, Harrison Ford a robot or what? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. For like the longest time, he would be like, I don't know. And then he like re-edited the movie <laughs> to like basically say, Yeah, that's what happened. Right. Yeah. And and to wrap up his uh, little writing here, I'm going to skip to the end. He said, my concept for Snatcher was not to make a game with a broad and shallow appeal that anyone from children to adults could enjoy. The concept was different. This game would appeal to and remain etched in the heart of a very specific kind of person. Also, I should probably say that compared with other media, Snatcher's story setting isn't very good. We borrowed a lot from from Blade Runner. It certainly wouldn't be strange if someone thought we were just screwing around. We received criticism for things like the hackneyed dialogue, which was nothing to cry home about. However, what I was interested in was expressing was not an original story or world. The world was simply the empty vessel for the activities and lives of the various characters that you meet, and the inexorable fate that they are dragged into unawares. I wanted to present that experience, which can only be adequately conveyed in a meaningful and satisfying way through interactive media. In whatever shape or form it takes, this is the kind of game I want to make again. And hmm. I would say he's kind of stayed making those type of games, like, Metal Gear Solid is very heavily, like heavy on uh, story, right? Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. He knows how to write English. I mean, it was in Japanese, but he's a pretty good writer. Yeah, as you can tell. Um, so you know, as he's talking about in that interview, he, the MSX2 and PC8801 are really his version of the game. And like I said, released in 1988, visuals on these ones are stuck in a small window in the corner of the screen, and the game's limited to 16 colors, so it looks very dated. Um, Both versions are essentially the same, but the MSX2 has the option for PSG sound and enhanced music, while the PC-8801 uses FM synth. There is some content that did not port over to the Sega CD, including the the ability to use your actual computer keyboard to solve a puzzle. So I won't give it away, but there's a character who's like, search search the house and you're like what house and on your keyboard there's the home key so you're supposed to hit home (laughs) you know yeah um and then there's also a fourth wall breaking crash screen you want to bring that up i thought that was pretty funny this is definitely very uh him yeah yeah um so i think i thought that was pretty pretty good where it's saying like you crash the PC, therefore the investigation terminates at this point. And then the characters talk, and they're like, well, I'll tolerate you this time and repair this. And then Gillian goes, wow, I'm saved. And then Metal Gear goes, don't try this again. <laughs> you know, um, 1992 saw Snatcher ported to the PC Engine Super CD, featuring enhanced graphics and more colors. The menu interface is retained, but there are voiced cutscenes and CD-quality music which were lifted from an album which was actually released prior to this. And believe it or not, the original 1988 release of the game never had an ending, as I mentioned. The game ended with Act 2, 
whereas here there is an Act 3 which is largely cutscene-based, excuse me, and resolves much of the story. So, you know, having read that interview now, you know, you waited five years for the end of the game, but you have to buy new hardware. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And... Konami, and it's really, it's Konami that did this, not Kojima. Kojima's idea of the game is, and again, I don't want to spoil it, but it's basically, you got to go to this factory in Siberia, and the game ends. Whereas here, you got to go to this factory in Siberia, and then there's an Act 3, and you see what happens at the factory. Now, he had very little input, so it's it's almost like the ending of this game is not his ending. It's a ending, but it's not his ending. Isn't that weird? How does that make know? you feel? Do you feel like it? it's like... Wh- which do you prefer? Would you rather have the developer's vision of not having an ending or the company tasking people to remake the game and having an ending? I would have wanted, obviously, in the, in, the, in the real best world possible, Kojima coming up with the ending, right? But, like, I mean, right. I don't know. I, f- I feel a little sketchy, you know? Like, obviously, it needed more... more to it than just going I'm go- I'm going to Mars see you Poochie and then he just like <laughs> leaves <Right>. the screen <laughs> and so like my thing is like um, yeah I, I, it's so weird because like this is kind of the history with him and Konami like the NES Metal Gear games he had nothing to do with them they they, they right. followed his structure but like he wasn't like the second one was just its own story on the NES it's like he didn't even do any of it so it's like ah it's weird that's just how Konami was at the time, I guess, but... <clears throat> right. I mean, like, I, I enjoy movies where it's like, you know, Inception, where you're like, oh, is the is the top going to fall? Um, or Blade Runner, where it's like, is he a robot or isn't he? But in this case, it's not so much like a yes or no question, and then the audience has to decide. It's more like, there is more to the story. Like, they're going somewhere. What's going to happen? I honestly, I think that's kind of a weak ending just because it's setting up something interesting and you never see it. Um, and I mean, you could sit and speculate, oh, I wonder what happens to him. But it's like we're never getting Snatcher too. So I kind of appreciate that they gave him an ending. And from what I remember, it's a fun ending. Um, you know, there's some silly things that happen and it's, you know, it, it works. It's, it's a cool ending. Um, leading up to the release too of the PC engine, they actually had a a pre-release disc, which established the game's world. And it also featured artwork and music. I kind of think it's kind of like the, uh, snatcher equivalent of what's Shenmue. I was going to say, I was going to say, did they call it what's snatcher? (laughs) (laughs) What snatcher? Um, And in 2020, the PC Engine Mini release. Did you pick that up? It it was called the TurboGrafx-16 Mini here. I did not. Did you pick it up? Okay. I did. Yeah, yeah. It's um. What do you think of it? M2 did it. It's pretty cool. It's actually it's got a really nice port of um, Space Harrier, uh, and I think Fantasy Zone. But what's nice is you can switch to the PC Engine. Everything's on there. But they included Snatcher, but they didn't translate it. And, um, I mean, I'll answer the question before even asking it. I think they dropped the ball immensely on on not translating Snatcher. This is a game, and again, we will get to how much this thing costs now, selling on a little plug-and-play console that sells for $100. 
Now imagine if this came out and it was like, including the first ever translated version of the PC Engine release of Snatcher. Like, sure, it's not the Sega CD version, but they're pretty close. And you could be playing it in English. I Tons of people would pick this up just to play Snatcher. They're like, imagine the Kotaku article. It's like, Snatcher is finally releasing again in English, but there's a catch. You know, and everyone's like, shut up, Kotaku. Um, yeah, get out of here. It's just like... <sighs> so I have, I have booted it up. I have played what i could but it's not the same you know it's just not um who, who owns who owns the turbo graphics 16 and why didn't they just put the gut the the translation down on this thing i mean i don't I, know I, I think is NC wasn't it a, nick george it's it? actually konami oh really konami released the turbo graphics do they own the branding? So technically now they I guess they do own a console, I guess. The TurboGrafx-16, yeah. even though at the time it wasn't them. It was a totally different Japanese company that made it, right? It was NEC. Yeah. NEC. Yeah, but Hudson, Hudson Soft made the CPU. So I guess when they acquired Hudson Soft, they acquired all that stuff. Man, see... We should, <laughs> Sega should have bought Hudson. Don't, don't, don't come to a Sega... Podcast expecting us to be Konami experts. Yeah, I'm not a Konami expert. I didn't even know they they released. That's crazy. I I don't even own the TurboGrafx-16 uh, re-release, and I didn't even know it had Snatcher on it. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, now the Sega CD version, which is our focus of the show, it released in 1994. As mentioned, no Japanese re- version exists. Uh, this is based on the PC Engine release. And the game adds a few extra scenes, including an extended intro, which I think is awesome, as well as an extended third act with more interactivity. So if you were hearing people complain about the PC Engine third act being basically a long cutscene, in this there is a bit more to do. Um, it doesn't feel so much like a tacked-on cutscene. Um, there is a little bit of censorship, though. Let's look at some dog guts. So Oof. this is, it's not, it's not like he ate spaghetti and it spilled all over his tummy. This is a dog who, uh, whose stomach is ripped open. Wow. And his guts are out. Um, and this was, this was censored in the Sega CD version. I think rightfully so. It's pretty bad. Um, also the character Katrina was aged up from 14 to 18. <sighs> thank um, God. And Gillian, thank God. Yeah. And Gillian's advances. Cause she's like a, uh. A model, like a sex symbol, in yeah. this in this like future. <laughs> in like, seeing, um, I don't know, man. That's just weird. It's like, uh, it's it is like, weird. It's like Game of Thrones when they uh, aged up the characters. I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. If we're gonna watch it on TV. Yeah. I don't want to feel gross. <laughs> um, Gillian, as I mentioned, his advances on women. You know, like he would hit on them. It's toned down, but not completely removed. I think they probably scaled back like what he said. I I didn't put it in the notes, but there was something where it was like prove prove who you are and instead of showing your ID, like one of the options is to show them your penis. <laughs> that's uh it's like, that's this game would be canceled today. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um yeah, like Louis C. K. Um and despite all of this, there is an exclusive call to a phone sex hotline which has to be seen to believed. I believe there is a transcript out there, but it's just, it's goofy. 
Uh, Snatcher later released to the PlayStation and Sega Saturn, but only in Japan. And this version features more colors, redrawn graphics in a lot of areas, and censors much of the gore. It also adds some really terrible CG nah. scenes. So let's terrible, dude. Uh, you want to you want to you want to scale let's that back? Let's take a look. You want to scale that back? We got a little video. Well, let's see this video. I think it looks pretty good, right? I think. Well, I mean, the Sega Saturn had some of the best technology for 3D, so I'm assuming it's gonna look amazing. All right, I'm gonna play it. <laughs> Let me put it the volume. I want to. I'm already watching it, but I'll jump back. <laughs> Is this the real? Character model. Oh God! <laughs> Jesus! Oh my God! The way he runs. That's yeah. how I run. <laughs> With red eyes too, obviously. Like I love the show reboot, and even that looks better than this. I was going to say, it's like, reboot, but like, if they did it ten years earlier. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, they should have yeah. never done this. They didn't need this. Wow. No. He just blew him away. Oh, that's a cool fade, I guess. <laughs> I wonder what Kojima thinks about all this. Like, all these re-releases they did with more stuff. He doesn't seem too precious about it. I don't know. It, it's it, almost like, well, I made my version. The, the incomplete version. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to watch any more of it. Beautiful, beautiful. Get it off here. Get it off here. Um, now, as mentioned, there was a lot of like copyright infringement in this game. So uh, any version, you're going to see some weird cameos. The computer versions featured predator masks that you could wear to a like a costume party, but later it was changed to mummies. Um, also, there's various manga and sci-fi characters that appear, including the alien from Alien. But the Sega CD version replaces these came- cameos with official Konami characters, which carried on to the PlayStation and Saturn version. So we can see these guys here. Do you recognize any of these little guys? Uh, is that a guy from Castlevania right there? Uh, Beltmont, one of the Beltmonts. Uh... Yeah, I don't know who this little baseball like ba- dude is, but I'm assuming it's like a yeah, cheap like a baseball, baseball game. game. Yeah, from Japan. Yeah, like hot shot golf, but like hot shot baseball. But yeah, mm-hmm. cool, cool. I, I mean, they're all yeah. here to see a. Is that the 14 year old girl stripping, or is that the other girl? Yeah, the hol- they're just there to see it. No, that's the other one. I uh, think. Yeah, the uh, the hologram. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so let's let's take a look at Akira here. So we've got Snatcher's music, which was composed by Akira Yamaoka. He is famous for Silent Hill, Contra Hard Corps, Sparkster, and its sequel. Yamaoka worked at Konami from 1993 to 2009 when he moved to Grasshopper Manufacturer. Oh. He still releases Konami albums and performs live music. However, mainly it's from Silent Hill games. Yeah. He cites David Lynch movie music, Metallica, and Depeche Mode as his inspirations. Ooh. And uh, let's let's listen to some vinyl here. So we have someone bought that Snatcher vinyl release, which sold out like super right fast. Yeah, I know. There was people in our list all bragging about it. And I'm like, man, go fuck yourself, guys. It's still infamously, and I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade there was a, sec- a sonic retro article about it 
Oh, Remember yeah. that? Yeah, and I was yeah. like, why is this a Sonic Retro article? And, and it was you... just because someone liked Snatcher so much and had access to the writer's like uh, page of their WordPress that they posted an article and no one was there to say like, hey dude, well, hopefully, makes no sense. <laughs> hopefully you got a free one. And, and anytime you want me to put it on here, we're going to listen to one hour and 23 minutes. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, let's listen to an hour and 23 minutes. Intro. Teenage Mutant... No, wait. Ooh. Very creepy. You'll be alright if I jump around, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, If you go... If you see down there, there's... um, 450, you can get the One Night in Neo Kobe City. Four... Kushiro, you hear this? Yeah. It's the Petchmo track. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, this is the this is the good stuff. Yeah, how much is this vinyl going for? I'm afraid to ask. I have the police not one though. Somewhere. Oh man, I don't. I mean, but this is not a data discs one. This no, is, this is um, not. This is a, a, a. I don't know what, who did this. Two hundred on eBay. Uh, it's not that bad, but it is a lot. The guy has ten available. Damn, this guy just bought them Someone. all up. Yeah. That's terrible. Damn. All right, it's beautiful stuff though. It's really good. Um, I think just the game's yeah. intro in general is awesome, just because it has that like grim lead up you get the title screen and then it kicks into that and you're like oh it's gonna be fun too you know it's not just gonna be grim and dark you know what's up you know, um, you know what sucks i just literally what? noticed that i didn't put i have the the feel the magic uh, overlay for the, when we talk i'll just i'll just put it over it no big deal oh yeah you can edit it over yeah, it. yeah yeah nobody's gonna so that's see a little this, behind sorry. the scenes <laughs> yeah sorry nobody's gonna see this so it doesn't matter nobody's yeah. gonna see it um so Snatcher released to glowing reviews. It scored 90 from computer and video games. And the lowest score that I could find was 76 from Electronic Entertainment, a U.S. magazine. Even in retrospective reviews, the game is given glowing scores and is seen as one of the Sega CD's best games. Unfortunately, I do not know the sales numbers, but the game did not see a large run. So I presume it sold well. Um, and now it sells for hundreds, if not over one thousand dollars. Are you kidding me? A thousand dollars. So I'm looking right now at sold listings. This is how you do it, guys. You go to that little eBay tab at the bottom, check mark sold and completed listings. Um, May 9th, Snatcher sold in an authentic case with box art in um, the manual cover, but no game. This is only the box art. With the cover to the manual, three hundred and sixteen dollars. Someone wants no game. Someone wants a thousand dollars for the game with a reproduction of the manual. Complete. So here we go. A complete snatcher sold for one thousand two hundred and seventy-five dollars on May eighth. Looks like someone spent their uh, stimulus money poorly. or maybe wisely. And then again, in ten years, he might be sitting on a ten thousand dollar game. 
Um, that's true. That's true. I, but then the Mega CD one, though, I'm seeing it here. It sold for $639. So that's not as bad. Um, here's one that sold for $2,000. Complete in an ac- acrylic display case. This one's the game and case with no manual for 500 So, you know, like you could get lucky, but by and large, like 1500 1325 1300 I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the next question is going to be: yeah. Do you want to see Snatcher re-released? Uh, yeah, we're not paying a thousand dollars to be able to pl- own it physically. Like, I think just having a uh, Police Knots and uh, this one back to back, and not only that, doing like a definitive version of it where like it comes with all the versions translated in all the languages, that would be huge. And they could sell it for sixty dollars. Oh, absolutely. Knowing Konami, you know. They're really pimping that uh, Castlevania collection with limited run games recently. I don't know if you if you saw that announcement. They're doing a physical. I haven't. Ver- no. Yeah, they're doing a physical version of Castlevania, the collection. And I'm like, why can't we have a Hideo Kojima co- collection with his early stuff? Mm. That would have been pretty. Sweet. Yeah, that would have been sweet. Yeah. Oh well. Unfortunate though. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I'd love to see it re-released. I think, like you said, to do it in a two-pack collection. I think if Konami wants to come back strong, they could really be like, "Hey, we're coming back to the world of games. We're going to visit our back catalog. Here is a sweet uh, Kojima two-pack. We worked with him to release this, oh, and yeah, like include work. different versions. They're never going to work you know? together. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe we'll see a sequel. No, there never was a sequel. I don't think there ever will be. Um, I mean, I don't even know if we'll ever see a Western re-release. But there has been some crumbs that they have been tossing to fans. In 2011, there was a radio drama that was released by Kojima Productions, which adapted the game's story. It was titled Suda51's SD Natcher. <laughs> and... Kojima himself actually served as the project's drama planner. Now, I've never heard it, but I wonder if there is the Act 3 or if they end on the same cliffhanger. Um, Of course, Snatcher, it's filled with Metal Gear references. I'm not going to get into all of them. Um, I mean, obviously, Metal Gear himself is in there. But uh, the rumor... So there is one I wanted to mention here. So the rumored project mentioned in Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake is that Mad... Madnar uh, was involved in what turned Big Boss into a cyborg, and it was codenamed Project Snatcher <laughs> after the after the titular menace and Snatcher. Though if, I guess if we're going chronologically, that was the first Snatcher. So that's yeah. interesting. Um, so, do you have any final thoughts on Snatcher as we close the book on this Konami classic? I think. A lot of people that are listening to this and didn't play it already know this game is a very uh, critically acclaimed uh, fan favorite uh, mm. underground classic. I would say it's like right up there with Panzer Dragoon Saga whenever you hear anyone that's like over the age of 28. And you ask them, oh, what do you think about Snatcher or Panzer Dragoon Saga? They'll all go... That that that's one of the best games ever. Even if they never played it, it's one of those games that's gotten that you know, uh, I guess you could say like it's gotten that cred you know over the years where everyone pretends they played it and says it's a good game and they don't even think about it. 
Like, uh, have you? Have right. you, do you think everybody that says Panzer Dragoon Saga is great owns the game or even played the game? You know, there's a lot of people that just say it because it's one of those things you hear on the internet, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, there. I don't think there are many people that have played Panzer Dragoon Saga, let alone Snatcher, and say they are great games. Um, I mean, I guess word of mouth helps, but it would just be awesome to have it finally re-released and we could stop lying, <laughs> you know, and be like, yeah, I played it because it's awesome. We're you know? getting Phoenix um, Wright games re-released and we're getting like all these other games, but somehow the visual novels from Konami are just not being re-released. It's crazy. Prove us wrong. We In the past, remember we did our Monkey Ball episode and then like a week later they're like, Monkey Ball <laughs> is re-releasing. Oh, yeah. Um, so maybe that'll happen. Maybe this they, they want to date this episode and make us sound like idiots. Um, but you know who aren't idiots, George? Our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's, let's see what our Patreon supporters have to say. As I mentioned, you support us... At any level, you toss a buck at us every month. It helps us keep going, and it lets you open the door to have your comments read. And you don't even have to talk about the game, you know? You can just be like, I love George. Whoa. You could say that. Can you? Um, sexual harassment, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't. Just show 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 your penis to him like Snatcher oh, does. Oh, no, does. don't do that. Um... I don't want yeah, to be in a con. I don't want um, to be in a con, and then some guy comes up to me, and I'm like, "Cool, dude. Hey, I, I listen to your podcast. This is a deep cut. Do you like oh, it? Oh no. Um, yeah, you're not going to cons. We're not going anywhere. That's um, so Jake Workala, he has this to say. He said, "Snatcher is my favorite game of all time. I played it for the first time at the ripe age of 13 years old, and it nearly melted my prepubescent brain with how cool it was." This was before I had ever even seen Terminator or Blade Runner, so I never realized how derivative it was. To me, it was entirely unique and mature. In fact, this was the first time I had ever played a game that wasn't for kids, so my jaw was on the floor when I saw John Jack Gibson's head gruesomely twisted off for the first time. A true classic that I will never forget and will always have the fondest nostalgia for, and I I like that. I clicked a little heart. So, yeah, that, that, that does it. That's Snatcher. So you don't have to put in another disc. This is the end of the game. That's it. Game over, man. Next time, we're going to be talking... We're going to go... Well, it's going to be a mad world. Because we're going to be going back to the Wii era to talk about another Platinum Games classic game. Uh, hopefully you guys catch us on that episode. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash SegaBits. Bye. Bye.